So we are working our way through the book of Isaiah, and, and we are on week five already of this series. And so we started uh, several weeks ago uh, looking at the, just the intro, the outline of, of the entire book of Isaiah as we looked at chapter one. And then we, we uh, also acknowledged that day that, um, that the book is in two distinct sections. And so last week we finished the first section of Isaiah, but as we jump back into it today, as we open up the second major section of the book, um, I want to just be reminded again of Isaiah 1.1, that these are the visions that Isaiah, son of Amaz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. He saw these visions during the years when Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah were kings of Judah. So we get, this is a prophetic book. Isaiah was a prophet of God, meaning he heard these messages from God, he saw visions from God, and his job as a prophet was then to communicate those messages to the intended audience. And just as this verse tells us, the audience that Isaiah spoke to was the entire nation of Israel, of Judah and Jerusalem. This is in the, the time in history where Israel was divided, right? and they, they was a divided kingdom. Right? And, and Isaiah spoke to, to the entire nation. Uh, like, as I said, chapter 1 gave us the overview and outline of the entire book. Um, as well as some very challenging perspectives. And then we see as we've worked our way through, we've dove deeper into each of those. In the last three weeks, we've studied the first major section of the book, chapters 2 through 39. And we saw last week how the entire section culminates with chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. And then following that, we saw chapters 13 through 39 are filled with lots of judgment and doom. And that's kind of the, the... bigger reputation of the Old Testament prophets is that they always come with bad news, right? And yet we saw through 13, chapters 13 to 39 is exactly what Isaiah gives. It's bad news for lots of people and, and lots of judgment, lots of discipline by God. But yet we have seen as we studied it that also Isaiah um, is a complex weave of different stories and literary forms and, and judgments as well as, as glimpses of hope. And, and I think you've probably recognized we go through, we'll see that today. There are lots of very famous verses and passages that come out of, uh, out of Isaiah. In fact, Isaiah is quoted in other scriptures, I think probably more than any other book, especially you look in, in some of the Old Testament books that quote Isaiah, and, and yet Jesus quoted Isaiah a lot in the Gospels. Um, Isaiah is a very significant book within scripture, and, which is, again, why we're studying it now. And yet today we are starting into the second section of the book, chapters 40 through 55. And these chapters um, cover the time of, his, of Israel uh, when they were in exile. And we hear all these judgments that were coming through these, these previous chapters, and, and that now we are to the point, oh, um, uh, at least in Isaiah's explanation, of where um, not only had Judah been conquered, by the Assyrians, and that was kind of brought out, and that happened first. And then also, though, Israel was also conquered and exiled by Babylon. And now we, we pick up here in, in Isaiah's explanation here, starting at chapter 40, um, of this time of while they are in exile. And then the final section of the book, chapters 56 through 66, covers Israel's return back to the chosen land, and where God, again, brings them out of exile. So today, we are going to dive right into Isaiah chapter 40, and we are going to read verses 1 through 11. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to Isaiah chapter 40, 
if you're here with us in person and don't have your own Bible, our Bible's provided for you in the seats you're welcome to use. You'll notice the page number there where you can find this in those Bibles. If you're with us online, we're glad that you're with us. And if you have your Bible, you can open up. And we're going to read here Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11, where it says, Comfort, comfort my people, says our God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. Yes, the Lord has punished her twice over for all her sins. Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, Clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. A voice said, shout. And I asked, what should I shout? Shout, the people are like grass. Their beauty fades as quickly as the flowers in the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade beneath the, the breath of the Lord, and so it is with people. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. O Zion, messenger of good news, shout from the mountaintop. Shout it louder, O Jerusalem. Shout and do not be afraid. Tell the towns of Judah, your God is coming. Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. So as we read this text this morning, this, uh, again, this intro into this second part of the book, um, we, we can see here that, that this is directly following these many chapters of judgment and of discipline and of, of, of doom, right, for Israel, that, that they are, are um, living out the consequences of their ungodly choices and decisions. And yet, as we read this text, it, it has the tone of a loving parent sitting down with their child after the discipline has been carried out. Right, this is after they've got you've given the spanking, they've sat in time out, right? The the tears have have um, you know happened and and the angry faces are there and the stomping of the feet and kind of all this oh wait, maybe I'm just describing my toddler. Maybe that right after all of this has happened, this is the moment as the parent when the parent sits down and says, Okay, here's what needs to happen next. This is how we move on from this. Again, Judah has been conquered by the Assyrians. Israel has been conquered by the Babylonians. They have all been disciplined, but yet God is still there, and God still wants a relationship with them. Just as the, the opening verses say, right, that they've been punished twice over, right, for their mistakes, and yet here is God coming back to them and saying, I'm still here, right? Again, it's, he opens up this, right, of, of I'm here to comfort my people. And this, again, is a picture of, of God not just being a just and holy and righteous God, but also being a loving and gracious God. As we, as we read, again, this opening section of, of this book, it, it, this, is, this is the thesis statement of what follows in the, the following chapters. 
As I said, it is literally the intro to the second part of the book. Just like chapter 1 was the intro to the overall book here, these verses serve as the intro to this second section. And there are three main things that God tells Israel that, that of how, this is how we're going to move on. Right? This is what it's going to take for us to, to go to a new place. Right? To not have to go through the, all of the discipline again and the judgment. And, and again, God's sitting down right, as a loving parent saying, I don't want to have to do that. So let's do some things different to make sure we don't get there again. Right? The, the, the first thing that, that we, are, we are told to do, along that, that again, Israel is described to do here to move on from this place, is to make room in your life. For God. It says, make room in your life for God. Because as we know, right, and as we watch Israel did through their history, and it's something that we tend to do even today in our own faith journey, is that we, we get busy. We get distracted. We get all of, all of these important things going on in our life, and yet we, we get our focus centered on that and to where, where God just starts to kind of drift out of our priority list. And, and we, we know in, in our world today, especially, there's, there's no shortage of things to do, of places to go, of, of, of places to send our resources and our time and, and, and our minds. And yet God says, don't push me out. Make room for me in your life. Make God a priority. Right? Because the, the more you drift, you let it drift and start to, start to push God out and, to be, you know, and get your life crowded with all of these other things, then, then it will put us on a road that is not healthy, a road that's not good, a, a place that will get us you know, further away from God. Again, the first and foremost, we need to make room for God in our life. As Isaiah uh, kind of sums this up here in, in, chapter, in verse 5, where he says, Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. Right? If we make room for God, then, then we'll see who God really is, and, and, and his glory will be evident. Right? Make room for God in your life. And then we move into the, this the second thing, right, that, that Israel's told that they need to do to go somewhere new of, uh, of now that we, we've got this, this foundation built, now we get to move forward. And, and, and as we move forward, you also need to trust what God says. Trust what God says. And just as we've seen, we see throughout Scripture and all these things, right, there's, there's lots of voices in our life. There's lots of people clamoring for our attention, and, and everybody has their opinion, of what we should do next or where we should go. And, and yet we also have the word of God. And he says, trust it. Right? Trust what God leads you to do. Hear his voice and trust his voice. Take the steps he's leading you to take. Again, we see, um, again, this, this bigger picture of of everything in the world and, and, and how it's kind of culminated here in verse 8 of where it says that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Right? The, the things of this world are going to pass away. Right? The thing that's, that, that's clamoring for your attention or your resources or, or your efforts and those kinds of things, right? It's just, is it something that's going to really be worth it? 
Or is it just a season and then it's gone? And the reality is anything of human origin is, is going to fade away. But trust what God says because it will last forever. I mean, even the fact that we're, we're studying a book that was written 2,500 years ago and we still see how relevant it is to our time today should prove this fact that we can trust what God says. And then the, the, the third thing that, that is identified here by Isaiah for Israel to be able to move forward that we, again, can glean from so much wisdom from is, is to know that God is sufficient. And remember, this is a message coming to a nation that is, has been conquered, right? That has been literally broken apart and spread out and exiled. I mean, those are tough times. You know, we all face tough times in our lives, right? And this was a, a very deep valley for the nation of Israel. And yet, they're told to, to know that, that God is sufficient. It, it, in fact, it, it comes out here in verse 9 where we, they're told that there's, that there's no need to fear. And then in verse 10, it says that to recognize that God has all authority. And also in verse 10, that, that God is powerful. That God, as he comes into your life, he also brings rewards. And then it kind of caps off this, this little sec, final section of the intro in verse 11 where it describes how loving God is. And we look at, again, it's all, all summarizing all this of, of how God is sufficient no matter what we face. No matter what season we find ourselves in, no matter how, how, how hard the struggle is, God is still sufficient. And don't ever question that. So we see this, this intro into this section and, and the, through these, these next several verses. And just like we saw in the first section of Isaiah, how, how now we, we get to dive deeper into each of these, these challenges, these steps, these, these topics. And so as, as we see that, we, um, again, we, we end up here at this, this next section, the last part of chapter 40, right, which is verses 12 through 31. Now, as, as we look just in respect of time, we're not going to read that entire section. I mean, there's, you know, 20 some odd verses. But to say that, that even in this is the, this section of scripture, and, and keep it open, we're going to look at it, we're going to reference it here a couple times, but, but as we look at, at verses 12 through 31 of chapter 40, is that this, this section truly dives in deeper into this first, this first challenge and, and answers the question, how do I make God, room for God in my life? How do I make sure that there is room in my life for God? And, and it, it gives us a, a couple, couple things to, to recognize and, and to do and to, to know that, that need to be true in our life. And, and the first one is this is there's this entire first section of this passage, um, which again, we're not going to read today, but I encourage you to look in, in verses 12 through 25. Read it this week. As, as the first way that I make room for God in my life is to acknowledge God's greatness. And this is a, a pretty lengthy description of, 
of how awesome God is. Hey, and we start off with the, these first uh, five verses, verses 12 through 17, that, that declares, again, God's greatness. It's overall picture of, of how great God is. And then, and then it, it makes the point in verses 8 through 20 of, of how no idol or carved God or any, anything man-made God or idol can, can even compare to the true living God. And then it sums up with the, the last uh, four, five verses in verses 21 through 25 where it describes how no human can ever compare to God. And yet we see these, these points that all culminate into the, the final verse of, of this section of, of acknowledging God's greatness, greatness in verse 25, where we have this rhetorical question given from God. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Asked the Holy One. Which is, this is a pretty good question. Right, one I think we all need to ask ourselves in our own faith journey of, uh, who, who can we compare God to? Does anything else even come close? And, and again, we, we know the answer, right? We know the right answer. We know we're supposed to sit back. Again, we're in church. We know the answer, right? The church is God. Of course. I mean, I mean the, the answer is nobody is great, better than God. Like, like, again, we know that in our minds that nobody's greater than God. But do we live that way? Do, do we see the world through the lens that that's true? Do, do we make decisions based on that fact? Do we, do we spend our time and our, and our thoughts and our, and our resources in a way that, that shows that's true in our life? Right? Do we acknowledge God's greatness? Right? Who, what do we give worth to in our life? Because the reality is that God is great, that nobody does compare. Again, we look back at the intro of all of that, right? All those attributes of God, and he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he's loving, he's gracious, he's just, right? He, he's all of those things. I mean, and, and yet we see not just here, but all throughout Scripture, right, that we are reminded that God is God and nothing else is. Nothing else can even compare. So step number one in making sure I have room for God in my life is, is acknowledging God's greatness, there's nothing higher, that he is the one that's worthy of our praise and only him that we worship. And then we, we move into this next section here, verses 26 through 27. I, I, I want to read these, 26 to 27. It says, look up into the heavens, who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. O oh, Jacob, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? O oh, Israel, how can you say that God ignores your rights? And again, we are faced here with another rhetorical question towards Israel. 
right, as we look at, at these, these few verses and, and, and get see the, the next step, right, of making sure that, that there, there's room in our life for God. After we acknowledge his greatness, right, then we also need to resist the temptation to push God out. Resist the temptation to push God out. And in the midst of these verses, we see that, that the real problem with the nation of Israel is called out. Right, God's, God's sitting down and says, okay, let's, let's just get down to, to, the, to the core of the issue. Okay, the core of the issue that, that's brought on all this judgment, that's gotten us to this place. The core of the issue right, is that you have pushed me out. That in the midst of all of the struggle... You have given in to this temptation. Again, in the midst of whatever struggle we find ourselves in, it's easy to focus on the chaos and on the issues and on the unanswered questions and get discouraged. Especially if God doesn't show up or act according to my expectations, then it breeds frustration. It, it, it leads me to, to asking the same questions that God calls out to Israel here right, in verse 27. I, I mean, this is exactly what, what he said, right? Again, this rhetorical. He's like, no, this is what's really in your heart, right? As you're actually saying, like you're claiming, right, that God doesn't see your trouble, that he's ignoring your rights, right? that he's not doing what you think he should do. And so we kind of proverbially kind of shake our finger at God. Right? And we're like, God, I told you to show up and you didn't. God, I, I, I even prayed, right? I showed up at church. I, I mean, I did everything that, that I'm supposed to do. And you didn't do what I asked you to do. Now, again, this literally kind of goes back to the, I mean, this takes the first step. If we don't do the first step, if we don't acknowledge God's greatness, right, then, then we're also going to get to this point of frustration when he doesn't meet our expectations. And then, that, again, that's the temptation of saying, okay, God, I don't need you then. Right, and that's when we start to push him out. As we think about this idea, this is, we can land at this general rule right, of, of the way that, that people work. Hey, the, the, the heart of why people get upset and angry isn't usually because of the actual circumstances, but people get upset or angry because their expectations weren't met. Right? We get upset and angry when what we think was going to happen doesn't actually happen. Again, if my expectation is to pull up to the burger joint and and make my, make my order, have it ready when I want it ready, and have it taste like I want it to taste, right, then I'm happy. But if it takes longer than I thought it should, if it doesn't taste the way that I thought it should, right, if my, my expectations were not properly met, then what's our response? One-star review on Google, right? Or the, the high school kid at the register gets an earful, right? I, I mean, the reality, right, is, again, if it, 
I get angry. Why do I get angry at traffic? Not because I expect to get to work on time. But yet the reality is there's traffic every day. So I should just, you know, I should plan that, but, but I don't. And then I get angry, right, because I'm late for work. My expectations weren't met. And, and we, yet yeah, we, we tend to be like, well, okay, if I, you know, then I'm just going to push that, right? I mean, we just push things out when our expectations aren't met, right? If, if that's your experience at the burger joint, then you just, you don't go back there. I, I, I push them out of my life. And the reality is that we, we tend to do that with God too, don't we? Right? If, if God doesn't meet my expectations of how I think God should work, when he should work, then I, I, I have the temptation to be like, God, I, you know what, maybe, maybe I don't need you. And we push him out. And, and the reality is, the answer that here is, is we are told to resist that temptation. Don't push God out. Don't buy the lie. I, I mean, that's what Isaiah is really telling Israel, isn't it? He's like, don't buy the lie that God doesn't see your troubles, because he does. Don't buy the lie that God is ignoring your rights because he's not. And yet that's truthfully at, at the core of the gospel message, isn't it? Because, in fact, I am, I am very thankful that God does not give me what I have earned. Right? Because the only thing that I rightfully am owed by God is death. Because the wages of sin is that is the only thing that I've earned. That's the only thing that I have rights to from God, right, is judgment. Anything I get from God other than death is by grace and mercy. So don't buy the lie. Right? Because the truth is God saw your need and he sent his son. Because he loved the world. And he sent his son to live, to die, to rise again. So that we can get everything we don't deserve. God hasn't forgot about your rights. I'm thankful that God doesn't give me what I deserve. It's a matter of perspective, right? And and God's bringing this perspective to Israel and, and showing it to us that don't push me out. Make, make room for me. Acknowledge my greatness. Right? Don't resist the temptation to push God out. And then the, the, the third thing that's presented here in verses 28 through 31 is to admit that I can't make it on my own. Again, if we go back to that idea of, again, the core of the gospel message, right, is the reality is the only thing I've earned is death and separation from God. Which is, is the reality is I can't save myself. I can never be good enough. I can never, you know, do the right things or talk to the right people or, or have the, 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 the good enough church attendance record, right, or the, the, the giving record. Or any of that. Like, none of that will get me saved. The only thing that saves me, again, is receiving Christ as my personal Savior, inviting him into my life. Right? And, and, and this is the real solution, Right, to having room for God in my life, and that is to admit that I can't do it on my own and submit to God and to his authority and to his love 
And this is where the real solution is presented. Before we look at, again, this real solution that's given in verse 31, I just want to ask a few more rhetorical questions. Have you ever felt weak? Have you ever felt tired? Have you ever been weary? Have you ever felt powerless? If you have, those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Have you ever felt weak and tired and weary and powerless? Well, guess what? The real answer is trust in the Lord. Because those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They, they, they will soar high on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They will walk and they will not faint. Right? The, the key to this success is trust in the Lord. Again, I encourage you, underline that. Circle it. Put stars around it. Right? The, the, there's room in my life for God and I will trust him. Again, this is not a, a magic formula to get superhuman abilities. Right, this, this, is, this is not a Marvel Comics movie. But this is a description of something much deeper than the physical realities of getting tired. Because the truth is, you, you might not be physically tired, but, but your, your soul might be empty. Your soul might be weary. You might just need, again, the, the, the rest that comes from from the presence of the spirit of the living God living in your heart. Do you have room for God in your life? And then we look at this, this next question is presented, and again, the, the answer to this of, of, of trusting what God says is, is in chapter 43. So flip with me to chapter 43. We're going to look at verses 13 through 19. Isaiah 43, picking up at verse 13. It says, From eternity to eternity I am God. No one can snatch anyone out of my hand. No one can undo what I have done. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Um, For your sakes I will send an army against Babylon, forcing Babylonians to flee to those ships that are so proud of. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator and king. I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. I called forth the mighty arm of Egypt with all its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves, and they drowned. Their lives snuffed out like a smoldering candle wick. But forget all that. It's nothing compared to what I am going to do. For I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in a dry wasteland. As we see this, right, this, this section of scripture answers uh, this question of, of how do I trust what God says? How, do I, how can I trust and how do I trust? And, and the way that we trust what God says is we start with remembering that God is sovereign. 
right, that he is God. Again, sovereign is this theological, scholarly term that means that God has ultimate authority and power. That he has ultimate authority and power. Right, which is exactly where this section starts, right, with verse 13. He says that from eternity to eternity, I am God. No one can snatch anyone out of my hand. No one can undo what I have done. He is sovereign. He is all-powerful. Right, and so I can trust what he says because that is true. Again, this is one of these passages that Jesus, again, quotes in the Gospels. In John chapter 10, Jesus quotes this passage about how powerful he is, about how sovereign he is. And when I acknowledge God's greatness and I remember that he has the ultimate authority and power, right, then, then I can also remember and trust that God has a plan. And that God's going to take what, who he is and his power and his sovereignty and then he has a plan. Right? He's going to carry out that plan. Again, this, this passage you read, right, is, is God goes in, he's like, remember the history. And he, he describes, right, with what he did through Moses and the Red Sea and, and Egypt and, and Joshua and the conquered land and all these things. And, and he says, Israel, remember all of that. Remember what I did there. Okay, if we just even just start there, look at the plan I had for them. And then notice, then what does he say after that? He says, no, but forget all of that. He's like, because... If you think that was great, wait till you see what I'm going to do next. Wait until you see what I'm going to do with you. Forget all of that. Because I am about to do something new. In fact, I've already begun. Don't you see it? All right, this is that moment, right, where God just gives them a glimpse of what the future is going to be. He's like, I know that right now is really hard. Not what you expected, right? This, this is a tough season, but, but guess what? I have a plan. And I'm already working. I'm already doing things that you can't even see. I'm about to do something new. And, and this is where, you know, we're going to sit back when you see what God does and when it all works out. This is when you sit back and be like, mind blown. I didn't even see it coming. And yet God's been setting up this for a long time. Wait, this, this is one of the places, right, that, that Isaiah references and predicts the coming Messiah. Right, that God is... is is doing something new. He's saying, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fulfill that old covenant. I'm going to bring in a covenant of grace, right? This is even better than you could imagine, right? And this is going to come through the Messiah. Right? This, this is that moment, right, where God's giving them a glimpse into what the future is going to be like, right, in this new covenant of grace. And, and again, we can identify with this. This is those moments in your life when you sit back and when God kind of shows you and, or all the dots get connected or, or he gives you a glimpse of what's coming. And this is when you sit back and being like, wow, God, you've been moving chess pieces around for a long time. All right, and then all of a sudden, 
I, I mean, it, again, if you play the game of chess, right, you, it's, you're thinking three, four moves ahead. And, and to where, you know, when you get somebody in checkmate, right, to end the game, it's, it's, you've, been, you've been setting it up for a long time, right? And there's, in those moments where, and there's been moments in my life, I, I hope there's been moments in yours when you sit back and you're like, wow, thanks, God. I didn't see that coming, but awesome. Right, and that's when you sit back and be like, oh, that's what that conversation was about like two years ago. And that's why you moved me over here. And that's why you gave me that struggle. And that's why, you know, we, I, I ended up at that place in my heart. And, and because if I wasn't there, then you couldn't have done that. And, and all of a sudden, all the dots connect. And you sit down and be like, Lord, you are God. Because there's no other explanation. Praise be to you. I mean, don't you see it? Right, and the reality is that God is doing that in your life right now. Do you see it? Again, I don't know where you're at in your faith journey. But maybe you're here today, maybe you're watching online, and, and you don't know who God is, and you're just trying to figure that out. And again, if that's where you are, I'll tell you, God is working in your life. Do you see it? Right, and your next step is to receive Christ as your Savior, to pray, to confess to invite his forgiveness and love into your life and, and receive him as your savior for the first time. Right, and that's when all those dots get connected. And that's when you start that faith journey for the first time. As a believer in Jesus and as a saved person. Again, maybe you've been walking with God for, for decades. And yet maybe you feel like Israel did, about like, man, everything is horrible. Right, and God's sitting back at me like, but just trust me because... Do you see it? I'm working. I'm doing it. Keep going. Again, I don't know where you're at in your journey today, but I want you to know here today, God has a plan for your life. God is working. In fact, it, it, this same message came through to through the prophet Jeremiah, and again, to, to them while they were still in exile. And, and again, this very famous verse out of Jeremiah. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. And those words are still true in your life today. God has plans for you. Do you have room for him in your life? And will you trust him? Trust his word. Because this is still true today. Again, no matter where you're at today in your journey, whether you, you've never seen your Savior, or you're walking with him, you're, you're waiting for God to show his hand or to show up, or maybe you're just here again. Maybe you put a praise on that cross last week, and you're just like, Lord, then, then you could still be here. But this, this is where I want you to be, right? Which this, this glimpse, again, it comes from Isaiah 58, 11. That's my final thought today. Isaiah 58, 11. The Lord will guide you continually. He will give you water when you are dry, and restore your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. Is that true in your life today? Is that true in your faith journey today? If it is, then let your praises know, right? I, I'm sending them out there, right? If, if it's not, then what's holding you back from that? Lord God, that is our prayer this morning, God, that you would truly come into our life, that you would take over. God, that you would give us strength when we're weak. God, you would give us power 
when we're powerless. God, that you instill us with your grace and mercy when we feel like we're not enough. God, we praise you, Lord, that you have a plan for us. God, that you're already working, you're already doing a new thing, and we praise you for that today. And God, as we go this week, Lord, help us to shine your light. Lord, that we can move forward in our faith journey, be closer to you tomorrow than we are today. And God, that we can show this world who you really are, that you can be trusted, that you are a powerful God. And that there's nothing else that's worthy of our praise and our worship than you. God, help us to show this world the true church through our faith, through our walk with you, by, Lord, reflecting your love through us to them. As we go this week, Lord, help us to soar on eagles' wings with your power. Guide us as we fly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.